This here's UnkView.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of UnkView as usual. Uh, we're honoring our commitment to you to deliver untimely, uninteresting <laughs> content with no entertainment or educational value whatsoever. And we promise this is our this is our promise to you. This is actually in writing on our website if you want to check it out. We promise. Um, we we promise to deliver the lowest the Quality. lowest the lowest total user experience on the web. And you know, why did I say that? You know, sometimes I just say things that I, I don't plan on and they don't make any sense and I'm gonna edit that out. But before we jump into today's topic, which I'm sure at some point between now and whenever that is, we'll figure out what that's going to be. Uh, I was talking to a uh, few, my nephew, Brendan, who's on the call with us here. Yo. And he shared some uh, really exciting news about uh, his burgeoning career as an author. So Brendan, why don't you repeat what you uh, just told me? Yeah, it's pretty, well, it's pretty cool. So we just got, me and my co-author, we're writing a book called The Power Bible, which uh, I'm not sure quite when it's going to be out. We're, we we had intended to have it out on Amazon by now, but a number of things keep happening and they're all good things. And this is one of them, which is that uh, the New York Times bestselling author, James Altucher, uh, is writing the foreword for the book, but he recently decided to have a include a chapter that we, that my co-author and I are guest writing for his upcoming book called Skip the Line. And that book is basically about I'm I'm actually also looking forward to that book because he's basically talking about how you can accelerate your success sort of in a given field, uh, just any kind of given field by skip skipping the line through using a number of different sort of techniques or strategies that he that he's talking about and in the book, which is cool on this podcast over the last like six to eight months. He's had a lot of people on who have gone from obscure to like super like super famous within a given like community. And he kind of explores why. So he wanted us to write a guest chapter for that book, which is really exciting. And that's really cool because he got a substantial forward I know for writing published with Harper Collins and so I'm I'm stoked about that that book will be out in February but ours I think is going to be out uh, I'm not quite sure when but hopefully by the uh, by the summertime or the end of the summer at least and what what is the nature of the chapter that you're writing for his book yeah so the book the book that I wrote co-wrote with uh, William Petit the third we're couple of comedians and it's kind of the story of how bill you know basically became a a bodybuilder and overcame a drug addiction and how i became you know uh, how i got out of being homeless at one point and became successful in the world of sales and uh and then lessons from comedy that we've learned and i should also say bill was a dating coach for a while and i i used to work for dating coaches and just all the lessons that we kind of learned in that space We've applied to frame control within uh, the Power Bible, and frame control is kind of a—it's a mental model of how to uh, negotiate and sort of win conversations that matter. Um, we talk a lot about this in the book, and the chapter that James Altucher asked us to write was sort of ten quick tips for how to uh, win back the frame of a difficult negotiation or an argument or a difficult conversation. So it's almost like controlling context or narrative. Actually that, yeah, that's a really great, that's a great way to put it actually. So we define frames in the book as the context within which data occurs. So data only becomes meaningful by the, by the frame that's around it. Does that make sense? Actually? Yeah, I think it does make sense because I think what you're saying is people can lull themselves into thinking they're in control for the wrong reasons so that there could be like a false feedback sort of a factor. That's exactly correct. And the, and the thing is, is that because a lot of this takes place at a, at a non-conscious level or what we say in the book is a pre-reflective level. Nobody, no one has reflected to see if this is really the, the do, am I really listening to this guy? Cause he's smart or am I just listening to him because he's tall and he speaks in a low tone? Right. Nobody's nobody even can approach asking that question because all of these things happen in your deep brain behind the scenes. Um, it, it, it's just, that's just the case for a lot of this. And there's a lot of science to back this up, which is really, really fascinating and also bizarrely worrisome because it's like that, that just 
we live in a world that we think we are making decisions out of our agency and out of uh, you know reasoning and we thought about all this stuff and we we really we, we've come to these conclusions you know logically but the truth is that like some of these choices that we've made along the way along this like pathway of thinking were actually made for us in our deep brain before we even reflected on whether or not we agreed with those with those those deep unconscious thoughts. It's it's very strange. Uh, it it is and it isn't, and I I think this entire topic is really fascinating. Like this is something that I could talk about for hours because to me this kind of conversation, this kind of issue, this kind of topic is just becoming more and more and more important and relevant as oh, we yeah. move into the future because our entire existence now has come down to basically a war of narratives mm, and. Mm. We did a podcast. You brought up the issue of Putin, mm. uh, who was had spoken publicly, I believe, on some issue, and he'd spoken different times in different places, and basically said conflicting things. Yep. Now maybe I don't have that factually correct, but I got the gist of it. No, right. you got it correct. Yeah. Which is, um, it's basically almost like an intentional disintermediation of sorts. Yep. Where you're, in essence, you're confusing people in a way, and I don't think the goal is confusion. You know what I'm talking about? No, the goal is confusion. So Adam Curtis is a BBC documentarian I really like. I think he makes a pretty concerted point with a with this one specifically. There's um, a couple of different. A short documentaries you can look up called Oh Dearism. Oh Dearism part, like someone might say, Oh dear, when something happens. Oh Dearism part one and Oh Dearism part two. And he fleshed this out in a much longer, much more in depth documentary called, uh, I think it's called Hyper Normalization. And the concept is that, is this. So, okay. I'm going to lay this out, Uncle Mike. I, just give me a minute because it's going to be a heady topic, but I promise it's relevant and, and it gets and it gets oh, to no, the no. root of Take what's your happening. Time. I, I love this. What is so fascinating to me about this is look into the past, okay? So at one time, monarchies and central governments were very important. So uh, in the deep past, let's say the feudal era, government power was spread out over a country. So why, why am I talking about this? Because the information uh, was distributed, meaning if you were in Paris, you did not know what was happening in Marseille. Things were distributed. So the king in Paris could not really be making decisions for what was going on in Marseille because there was a different enough place and a different enough culture. Well, that started to change into the uh, 17th and 18th centuries. And that's when uh, governments went through a period of centralization. So um, central power began resting more in the capital, and that was partially because the ability to get information, to marshal resources, and then to use and distribute those resources effectively, nations that figured out how to do that became more prosperous and powerful than nations that didn't. Now, that became another problem where information was able to be distributed amongst people more effectively than consolidated in one location, and the central government could no longer make effective decisions as well as distributed corporations of people. These companies that became multinational and global, they were able to use resources faster and more effectively than governments could. Um, all of that ended up happening because people could print information, they could distribute information. So why am I talking about this? Because the problem in the past was that information was unavailable and the ability to bring it together was difficult. Then we entered an era for a few hundred years where information was actually available, that people could build printing presses, they could distribute information, people could make um, wise and form democratic and republican decisions in their various governments. Um, life was understandable. Well, now we've entered a different era where there is a proliferation of information. So this is actually written about uh, this is crazy that like I th this is stuff that I nerd out about a lot. There was a, a philosopher I really like. He's a French philosopher named Jean Baudrillard, and he writes about this in a book called Simulacrum and Simulation in a book called The Transparency of Evil. And this was in the 90s. He was like, the problem we're going to enter in the 21st century, and he diagnosed this correctly, was he was like, it's going to be terrorism is going to be one of the major issues in the 21st century, and it's going to be the proliferation of information. And he he correctly, I think, knew that the problem 
now is that more information gets created in a day than was entirely created and recorded period in the 1700s that there is right. more information that's that is proliferated and the the opposite problem now takes place so central governments like vladimir putin can hold on to power if he has a monopoly on the actual actual what i would call nominal truth that is the truth that is actually corresponding with factual reality in the world if he's the only one who can hold on to it, every single other person within that game, so to speak, in terms of Russian power politics, can no longer make decisions that correspond to reality. So he's at a is a, at an asymmetrical advantage to everyone else around him. So it's in his interest to keep every single other person in the game confused and unaware of what's actually happening. And that's why that guy does. That is so interesting. And and again, we're not talking at all about what we intended. Yeah, we were supposed to talk but, about. <laughs> no, but I, I actually want to keep going with this because to me, this is far more interesting than what we had planned on talking about. And that's what I love about doing this podcast is we do this so often. This is the upside of not planning is yeah. that, you know, these conversations happen organically, which which allows you the listener to tune out much earlier because, you know, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> But but I, I really to me to me, this truly is one of the most fascinating topics in existence today, because, as I said a moment ago, the world has become a, a, a battleground of of opposing narratives. And, you know, when you look at things like the coronavirus situation that we're still very much in the midst of perfectly distilled examples of this. Yes. And what, what we see is very, very opposing narratives that are being put forth. Fox News and CNN are basically nothing more than narrative dispensaries. Yep. And so when, you know, you go on a Facebook or a Twitter or wherever and you see these conversations happening, how long does it take you to figure out which narrative a person is getting? Oh, man. Yeah. A nanosecond? <laughs> a nanosecond? You know, Immediately? Or, yeah, well. I posted about this on Facebook a couple of days ago where, you know, there's now been two studies that have come out and I'm not bringing this up to have a conversation about coronavirus. I'm bringing it up because it's directly related to the conversation we're happening. So there's been two studies that have have been released, if that's the correct term. One was done in, I believe, Northern California, another in Southern California, somewhere and somewhere. And basically, these two studies are uh, the, the punchline of each is basically the same, which is, hey, we did this study and we see that a much higher percentage of the population has been infected with the coronavirus than we originally thought. Yeah. So both both of them come up with kind of the same conclusion, which is so basically 20, 20 to 50 or 28 to 55, depending upon which survey you're talking about, um, uh, top. 28 to 55 times more people have been infected than we thought a week ago. So what does that matter? It matters because that means that if that's true, then the mortality rate on COVID-19 is, is a lot lower. 28 to 55 times lower than we thought. What we saw in the press in the aftermath of that were, were two totally different things. We saw the CNBCs of the world, and this is what I linked to in the post that I wrote on Facebook, is, you know, the headline was, oh, my gosh, 28 to 55 times more people are infected. Dun, dun, dun. Whereas <laughs> on the other side, the, the, the message was, this is fantastic news. 28 to 55 times more people are infected, which means the mortality rate is 28 to 55 times lower. That's the best news we've heard so far. But yeah, this has been this is just such a good example because I feel like this has been a constant frustration of mine in this whole situation, which is like, which narrative do you pick? Do you pick that everything is everything is terrible? It's terrifying. Stay home. The world is ending. Uh, shelter in place, you know, all of this, and the government's f screwing this up day in and day out, and Trump is uh, screwing it up, and your Republican senators are screwing it up. Or do you, or do you agree with the second narrative, which is everything is fine, everybody's already infected, it's not a big deal, the death rate is actually really low, more people die from the flu, Trump is being stopped by ridiculous partisan. Uh, dictators at the state level 
And it's just like, which one? And it's so insane to me because it's like, I, like I had this conversation like with my dad where, and my dad's a pretty smart guy, but like he didn't really take this seriously until Trump finally said like, look, probably a hundred thousand people to two hundred thousand people are gonna die, and 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 that's probably true. That's probably true. It might even, who knows what it's gonna be, but that's probably gonna be the case. And life is actually gonna be pretty weird for a while because infections like this are gonna take place. I mean, the news out of, you know, other countries like Italy and even China. It's clear that this is a serious virus and it'll really fuck you up. Um, whether or not it kills you, it'll knock you out for a couple of weeks or more, and it might even permanently damage your lungs. Like it's 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 pretty bad. But like it isn't. It, but it isn't like gonna end the world. One and then two. It isn't like not. It's not nothing. But it's also not like an apocalypse. And so it's bizarre because like there's there's no it feels like that we should be we should say to ourselves like this is really serious and you should social distance but let's put some you know let's put some guardrails on that and it feels like there's no middle ground there's no middle ground there's no place to touch ground and like orient yourself in this situation because anywhere you look online when you're trying to find information it's like so hard painted from one side or the other like it's pretty crazy and, and let me give you a specific example of what I'm talking about because this is what I talked about with my dad so um, he, he he and my mother and my grandparents, so all of we talked about this in the pod before, but they all live up in Manistee, Michigan. It's a tiny little town kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, south of Traverse City, north of Ludington. And that gives you an idea because if you don't know where those places are, then you, yeah, you're, you're aware of how far away from civilization this really is. <laughs> um, but there's an, you know, there's an outbreak, I say in air quotes going on in the town. There's like 11 to 12 people who have been diagnosed positive with COVID-19, which if you believe the statistics means there's at least a third more of those people who are sick and have it who haven't been, and then twice the number that are sick and haven't, or pardon me, sick and have it, have symptoms and haven't been tested. And then there are twice as many who have it and have been tested who have it and don't show symptoms. So there's, there's at least like probably 30 people maybe 40 people within that town who actually have that virus now. That's at the minimum. Um, so it is something to be frightened of a little bit, especially in a town like that, because there's a lot of people. Well, the reason I bring this up to you is that my dad and my mom and my aunts and uncles who live in that town and my grandparents all got a really bad, really bad respiratory illness um, towards the beginning of the year into January, February, my uh, mom was really sick, had to be put on a Z-Pack. Both of my grandparents had to be put on ventilators and sent to the hospital up there. It's really bad. So my dad's like, well, I think we got COVID-19 before. Well, that wouldn't be possible if you believe sort of the, the quote-unquote official narrative, which is that the, the first case of COVID-19 didn't show up until January 20th in the United States. And... Uh, and, and didn't really get outside of Washington for another, you know, uh, month or so. But what's strange about that is even as I'm starting to look into this and Slate magazine released an article called you did not get COVID-19 in the fall, um, where they stipulate exactly what this narrative is. But, and then as I start looking into it further, it turns out there's actually some other, even official, official sources like the CDC are conducting studies now amongst a bunch of people who were deceased in the fall and in early 2020 because they actually think that the virus was here a lot earlier than people think it was. And that could be the case, but nobody knows. There's not enough information to know this yet. And so it's weird because there's all these outlets that want to put out definitive statements on what they think is happening when they really don't know. Right. And the, and what we've lost, you know, again, we've talked about this a bunch of times, the uh, RIP journalism, the fact that journalism is no longer journalism, the fact that it's no longer even really purporting to be journalism. It's funny because I was I was editing one of our uh, podcasts we did a couple of months ago that, that we haven't released yet. We were talking about the doctrine of charity, and somehow that issue came up, and um, I was writing the show notes for the podcast, and what I wrote, I was quoting myself, in the podcast was uh, back when we did the RIP journalism podcast, it was 2016. And back then, if you remember, mm -hmm. uh, journalism was still purporting to be journalism. Yeah. Now, I mean, it still 
it's still purporting to be journalism. But I guess the journalist has journalism hasn't changed, but we have. I mean, I think you'd have to be a complete idiot to not acknowledge what I said earlier in this podcast about the, you know, it's it's everything's bought and paid for. Everything is a narrative dispensary. And so, you know, at this point, I think anybody above the age of probably 16 would agree that uh, to that point. So now journalism isn't even pretending to be journalism or we we see it for what it really is. So what what are we to do in this in this new frame? Yeah. I, this is a really, I mean, honest to goodness, this is like a serious problem because it's exactly what I described before. We've entered, we've retrograded into an era in which there's, instead of having too little information where you needed to rely on, let's say, the official narrative from the crown as to what is happening within the kingdom, now we've hit a situation in which there is too much information and no one knows what to do and no one knows if we can trust official sources anymore. And it's funny because like just a, as a good example of this again, like the New York Times reported today that like a lot of these protests that are um, that were going on, um, like and they specifically investigated the one in Michigan, the Operation Gridlock. They're like, when we start investigating this, we we noticed that there's a, a, a series of different um sort of sources of that are just sources that are either funding part of this or pushing energy into it or however you want to describe it one of them is the devos family they're like the devos family looks like you can tie pretty directly back to a lot of the pushing and coordinating of operation gridlock okay so why is that important does it matter let's resolve any feelings that anybody has immediately about you know, whatever that narrative says, the point that I'm trying to make is like, when I hear this, I try to communicate this to my dad. I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting. And my dad's like, well, you know, the New York Times. And I'm like, that's exact. There we are. There we are. We hit it. The New York Times, like one of America's, you know, the old gray lady, the constant, like one of the original newspapers, you know, in the United States that was a big deal and has been relied on for literally hundreds of years for for information it's like now i don't even know you know when you hear them report something you're like well do i really trust it or how much do i trust it those kinds of questions are are, are whether or not it's the new york times like it could be fox news it could be whatever those are those are that becomes dangerous because like how do you know what to believe about the world that you live in well it's it doesn't a, it doesn't become dangerous it is dangerous and we're years into it and so mm -hmm. again what's what's the, the the net effect of this which i think is only going to get worse until you know i don't know until there's a civil war i mean honestly do i i think that i'm not saying that's probable i think it's possible and yeah. it's and it's because of the fact that we've dug our heels into such an extent and and that has been fueled by you know this incredible opposition to to like when you brought up New York Times just now in this conversation, I had the same reaction your dad did before you even said that your dad had that reaction. Yeah. So so, you know, I'm already there. And my guess is you and a lot of other people have that same reaction when they hear Fox News. And so I don't know what we do with this, because what's ended up happening and maybe this goes right back to the, the what we said about Putin earlier today is we've entered this place where will there ever again be a generally accepted fact or agreement on what is a fact as it relates to almost anything you know yeah and and, and that to me is truly terrifying because you get people whipped up into a frenzy again on both sides of every issue you know people are just right now as we speak i believe there's another one of those protests this time in Michigan, this time it's in front of the governor's house. Yep. And so, you know, uh, and I happen to be in complete agreement with that. I mean, I wish I could be there to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the same token, I can well, see wear a you, mask. If you do, <laughs> I could see if you're on the other side of this, you would look and say, Oh, these assholes, you know, this is dangerous. What are they doing? I mean, I totally understand that because they're being fed a narrative and don't all of us want, you know, so many people seek out confirmation of their beliefs as opposed to seeking out the truth. 
Well, and this is what I, I, I think that we naturally, and this is one of the things that we go through in the book, The Power Bible, actually, is we talk about why people seek to reinforce the narrative they already have. Like, that's why people who have people who have a victimhood narratives don't actually try to become or feel power. Well, some people who have victimhood narratives try to do the opposite, which is find a place that they can become powerful. Some people do do that. I want to say that. But a lot of people who end up having victimhood narratives um, only seek to find information that reinforces the victimhood narrative. And it, it's really a problem. Um, and what's even more difficult, though, Uncle Mike, I, I mean, and then again, I know this is like a classic sort of uh, topic that we return to, but it's like I even have trouble finding if I'm somebody who tries to go out of his way to find co- conflicting reports on news sources like I love Reddit. Reddit is like the left as left as left can go most of the time. Reddit.com, the website. But if I go onto Reddit and I see a news report or an article that says one thing, I'll and I and if it really catches my attention and it and it's relevant in the world, like if it's something that says like Mitch McConnell said this, or can you believe Donald Trump's administration did this? A lot of the time, what I'll do is go just go, take the same exact words from the from the title and then Google them, Google News them, and then other I'll look for like other news sources like the Independent or. Um, you know, One America News or whatever, OAN or Breitbart or whatever the one that uh, Ben Shapiro works for now. I forget the name of that one. Anyway, yeah, yeah. The the Daily, what is it? The Daily Beast or the Daily Wire or whatever. The Daily called. Wire, I think. Yeah. So, and then what I'll do is if you can find one of those articles with really quickly, what you can discover on some of these things is that the, what really happened isn't even close to as inflammatory as the way that this other article like put it. Right. But but even I have trouble now f- doing that, which is that whatever algorithms are working in the deep internet that track you and figure out what you want to see, they now are even trying to obscure things, I think, further, where it's like if I yep. would have per- previously been able to find it. And here's a great way I tested it, and I knew that it was true is that I started looking for something on my personal computer and then I went over to my work computer, which doesn't have any of my, has no idea that I have an account on a personal computer at all, and then searched for the same exact thing and different, different and results. totally different results came up. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, completely different results came up. And like, the, it just is weird, man, because how do you operate in a world like that? It, yeah, I think it becomes very difficult. And here, here's the situation, just not to underpin this uh or overpin it i don't know which (laughs) which turn of phrase to use but i really think listening to uh you know some his historical narratives recently um i'm a big student of history i really love it and i think just based on the way that i described the facts earlier in terms of how history worked i think we are feudal france in the 18th century and China and potentially Russia, but certainly China is a monarchy that has figured out how to centralize power. And we're a series of fiefdoms that are all infighting for power within this country and organization. And that's a real problem because China's and, and, and potentially Russia, I guess, depending on how they kind of continue to operate, can make faster, better, more effective decisions at a central level that that can oh, yeah. compete with us on an international level than we can. And oh, I think I think that's just a fact. Oh no, that that to me that's black and white. And I, I saw I saw somebody post a meme somewhere within the last twenty four hours, and it was of Putin, and the you know his text was overlaid on an image, and it said, "Why would I?" Uh, why would I fight America? We are we have the Democratic Party for that. <laughs> so you know, and I I personally believe that. So and whether you do or don't believe that, you would have to agree that you know we're so we are two different countries within the same geographic borders. You know, we have two very separate and distinct populations of people. And I'm not saying that everybody falls into one of those groups, but it feels like a lot of people do. Enough, enough so that, you know, each of those is close to a majority in and of itself. You know, like if I had to mm. guess at the percentages, I would say it's, you know, one of the 
whether you're talking liberal or conservative, I would say it's probably something like uh, 35 versus 40 versus 25 undecided kind of yep. a thing. Yep. Uh, and, and that's scary that as opposed to Russia, where I'm guessing it's like, you know, 90, 10 and the 10 percent are decreasing every day as the hit squads do their work. <laughs> yeah. And state media does its does its work. And yeah. what do you think China's like? Uh, I mean, it's very way weird worse. because, yeah, way, way worse. worse than Russia. Way yeah. worse. You know, as, as you know, Brendan, um, you know, I dated somebody from who lived who was born and raised in Moscow for 20 years. Yep. And so I know a little bit about Russia as a result of that. And, you know, I think what's going on in China today, there's just no comparison. I mean, in, I think in China it is you are in lockstep with whatever the government message is. Or you're taking a real risk. I think at least in Russia, there's some tolerance for, you know, some minor tolerance for opposition. Mm -hmm. Minor, minor being the key term. But there's some. I, I think in, in China, it's almost zero. No, it's like, yeah, it's like it's almost the, the Vice News does a pretty good job of. But I mean, here's again the confusion. Uh, Vice News does a pretty good job of of getting out undercover journalists, uh, Chinese independent like like journalists. These are people who are filming on their phones and things like this and then somehow smuggling or getting the the um information to potentially American journalists or western journalists who are in China and then uh you know getting that information out. And a lot of what those independent Chinese journalists show conflicts pretty directly with like the official Chinese narrative of and specifically, this is relevant to COVID, to the situation with coronavirus, because the official Chinese narrative is like, we've got it handled. End of story. China's fine. We're going back to work. And very and, few people died. Yeah. And very few people died. That's how great we got it. And turns out that's like not the case at all. Like those even currently, there's like a lot of. But that's why China expelled all of these uh, Western journalists who were in the country just recently is because they know that they don't have it handled and they know that journalists are going to accurately report on that. And part of the reason they're going to be able to do it is because of all these like, you know, independent journalists that are operating in, in this in China. So it's super weird, man. Like the, it's just is a bizarre, bizarre situation. And the, but part of the reason that it works is because they've been able to centralize so much of 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 that of the power within that country that they don't need to have an open debate or an open discussion about anything because China's already made the best decisions at the executive level and everybody else is just going to have to live with that. And, and yeah. the, the sad reality is those decisions that are made at the executive level are probably actually the best for China, but that doesn't mean it's best for you, Mr. Chinese citizen. Right. It's, it's best for China. Right. And, and of course, the it's best for the you know, the executive committee of the Chinese government and Xi Jinping, who's dictator for life, so or president for life, whatever title that guy's using. Um, it's super freaking weird. I don't know any good solutions to it, but it's it's there relevant. They're there relevant. To, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think there are either. Well, this is one of those situations where whoever plays, whoever is more honorable. Whoever has more integrity, whoever plays more by the rules is guaranteed to lose. Mm. Because when you aren't restricted by law, when your when your opportunities for advancing a narrative or defeating an opponent's narrative aren't limited by law. In, I mean, you don't need to know anything about anything to know. You know, it's like saying if I walk into rob a bank with a machine gun. I'm probably going to have better odds than if I walk in with no machine gun. Yep. And uh, so I think whoever plays less by the rules wins. And so the the end result of that realization, which I think any thinking person comes to fairly quickly, is, well, if we're going to compete, then I guess we have to start playing like they're playing. Yeah. And I think uh, that's just... That's just a human nature analysis, not 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 meant to be a direct political analysis. But I think in the end, it's the same thing. And so I think if we truly understood, if we had any clue as to the level of subterfuge and espionage and 
planting spies and um, false uh, narratives and uh, that's a given. Yeah, false narratives. Yeah. But I mean even more sinister than that. Um, you know, again, whether you believe in the Clinton body count or not, the fact that that <laughs> that idea has has been alive and well for decades. And you know, I mean, and I don't want to get off on this at all, but I want to say it just to make the point, which is, and what the hell happened to Jeffrey Epstein? Oh my God, dude! And, you, and, yeah, that we haven't even talked about that on this podcast. I know, like, but it's like we it's, haven't even it, talked about Jeffrey Epstein on this podcast, and it feels like that's like the linchpin to a whole lot of this shit. Oh, it absolutely is, and I think that you know, if 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 we as the general public understood all that there is to be understood, I don't know that we could ever sleep again. And it's funny because I've I've had this conversation, this will be the third time in three days, right, where I've made the same comment is, and now we're getting off topic, but I think it's relevant. The point is this. I believe that a reason why so few people believe in things like the Clinton body count. And I'm just using that as a, one of a bunch of examples I could give. The primary reason people won't believe in that is because to believe in that for some people is so psychologically heavy. Oh, yeah. And and just it, it would it would shake them to their core to the to such an extent that it would, I believe, affect their ability to just exist in life. And as opposed to someone like me, for example, who it wouldn't affect me at all because I yeah. already think in those terms. I already I already, already swallowed already swallowed the black pill. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know that we ever talked about DMT. And to be clear, I've never done DMT. And have we talked about DMT at all? Nope. OK. You know what it is? I know what it is. Yeah. Okay. You should probably describe what it is briefly for, for the, all right. For the so listener. I'll put a li- I'll put a link in the in the show notes that you can click on to to see some videos to go, to go buy some DMT <laughs> to, go, to go buy some. But um, basically what it is, it's a it's a psychedelic drug that has some insanely interesting effects on most people who take it. In fact, Joe Rogan has had, I don't know, any number of unique podcasts on this topic. I mean, I'll say 10, at least 10. And he's taken it and blah, blah, blah. But it supposedly um, one of the things that or maybe the the thing that is most interesting about it is that uh, the description I've heard over and over from people who've taken it is. So I'm I end up in this place that is so incredible that my my imagination could not have created it. So this is outside the bounds of any dream I've ever had or any thought I've ever had. So that tends to make people believe in the experience a little bit more. Yeah. And then the second thing is they and this this part is super freaky is so you take the drug and you have this experience, which is all in your head. There's no physical experience. People who take it and people smoke it for the most part. They just literally lean back and sort of like, you know, like lean back in a reclined position on a couch or a easy chair and the whole experience, depending upon the person, typically lasts between like five and seven or 10 or 13 minutes. It's super short. But um, so people, the, the experience is, this is something so fantastic, so incredible that my brain could not have come up with this. I did not imagine this. And the second thing is that the people say, and I was completely sober. Within yep. that context, I was me. I was thinking perfectly normally and rationally. And I was like, what on earth is going on here? But the point is, you know, like you get really drunk, you know, you're really drunk. Oh, you yeah. Get, you know, you're, <laughs> you're a different. You're, a, you're like, oh, man, I'm slurring my words. Yep. I, you, <laughs> do, you do dumb stuff. But again, on DMT, supposedly, you're just exactly the same as you always were. But you're just observing all this stuff. This has a point, and the point is this, is that the most powerful video I've watched on this topic was, and I'll definitely include this video in the links, was by this young dude with red hair who was incredibly intelligent and articulate, and he tells this, it's only like an eight-minute video, but he said he will never, ever, ever do it again. Mm. And he said, not because he had a bad trip or anything like that. He said, what I saw was something I wasn't meant to see. And now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. Unsee if, it. I see yeah. it if I see it again, 
I might just go crazy because because what it the effect it had on this guy was he truly believes that what we're experiencing in this life is not really what you're experiencing here in this life. And there's this there's this structure around what we're, what we think of as the world that and I don't want to wreck this and I'm not doing a good job of explaining it, quite frankly. But it's just the kind of thing where it, it it's what you experience is not an extension of what you know in this world. It's entirely outside of it. Yeah. And so that's part of it that makes people tend to believe that there's something really weird going on there, because how can you how can you think in terms that are outside the realm of everything and the only things you've ever known? But so so now my real point, I'm sorry, I'm finally getting to the point, is that the analogy I just I started with that red haired dude telling that story of I, I don't want to see this again because I can't I can't live with that knowledge. And so I think it's the same thing with with this political stuff is that some of it, I believe, is so evil that people just refuse to believe it because if it's true, then what? Yeah. I mean, history is littered with, you know, with this kind of shit. Like, you know, I mean, the history of uh, looking at uh, especially the Byzantine and then Roman emperors and how these people who were vying for ultimate power would just do anything to, I mean, anything. They would do anything. I mean, you think Ivan the Terrible killed his own son. You know, like people will do anything to continue to hold on to this or to gain it. And it's crazy. It's, it's crazy to think about because we're used to living in this polite society where people don't think in these narratives. I mean, I if you really want to if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, what is Brennan talking about? What is Mike talking about? I don't understand what he's saying. Go listen to uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Listen to the episodes about the Mongols, the Mongols destroy i mean people lived in fear and not just the mongols go listen to his episodes on the vikings also that for for nearly a thousand years um the official catholic prayers ended with and please lord save us from the wrath of the northmen because these these people would come they would they would kill they would destroy they would burn they would rape they would pillage in every sense of the word and it wasn't funny and it's not cute and it doesn't fit in with a hicks history textbook because the world is, a, I think, a much more disturbing place. It's funny because a lot of what you're talking about in terms of like things like hidden or secret knowledge and um, the world looking a lot more terrifying than it really is, and uh, on closer when you get into closer inspection and accepting sort of uncomfortable truths, a lot of this really echoes an author that I like a lot, H.P. Lovecraft from the early 20th century. He was writing at a time um, that preceded the First World War, but and then was sort of just after the First World War, about these exact topics, which was that there was a world that surrounded us that we didn't weren't aware of and didn't have a sense of. But when people did, they would go crazy. They would lose their minds and go insane from from seeing things that that they weren't supposed to see. And I think that there's there's really something there, man. Like. You know, uh, one of the things that a friend of mine who's a who's a I should say pretty much died in the wool liberal said to me about Trump um, versus Bernie Sanders is he was like, Bernie's a really, really, really nice guy. But Bernie's but that's the problem is he's like Bernie cares about everybody. And I believe him. I believe that Bernie really does care about everybody and really wants to be a great civil servant. But like he's not the guy who's going to. It, it, when it comes time to bury the bodies, he's not going to be the guy who wants to pick up the shovel first. You know, um, yeah. Trump is a guy who would be willing to to he'd be willing to hit the guy with the shovel. <laughs> yeah. Well, you and, know, yeah, for sure. I have to admit that, like, there's a capacity for, you know, um, well, this is again to talk about John Baudrillard. He talked about this in the transparency of evil, which is like you know, you have to be able to to meet it where it's at. And the problem, if we can't see it, is that we can't meet it. And that's yeah. that's the problem that we find ourselves in today. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, as some people may know, I've, you know, I've written a series of blog posts and I have a lot more to publish on the topic of Christianity and how this relates to what we're talking about now a little bit is that, uh, in, and this is just my opinion. This is not, you know, this is not like an accepted view of things. This is just my opinion. Nor am I saying this is original because it, it may not be. I'm just saying this is my opinion mm -hmm. is that, you know, you have one of you, as a human being, you make a choice in life, which is do you believe in a higher power 
or do you not? That is like a fundamental decision that everyone has to make. And everyone does make it, as as the song from Rush says, even if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Mm-hmm. And so we, we all make a choice. And so if you believe like I do in the God of the Christian Bible, well, that's what I believe. So that doesn't matter. That's The specificity of that is irrelevant. The real point is on the other side of that, if you don't believe in a higher power, then by definition, what do you believe in? You believe in secularism. You believe in humanism. You believe that effectively human beings are the center of the universe. Human beings are the, they're it, that they're the only option. Whereas opposed to if you're like me and I believe in God, then I, I'm always thinking on two different levels. There's like my personal everyday, this life, I'm in this life doing these things. These are my concerns and cares on a daily basis. And then there's an entirely separate view I have, which is, wow, this is really interesting how things are playing out on Earth. This really lines up well with what's written in the book of Revelation. And I, you know, it feels like God is actually, you know, doing what he said he's going to do. And I'm finding this, watching this play out is, oh, my God, it's just so fascinating. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that view as an option, one, I think, you know, you're, you're just living in terror all the time because I hang on to the thought that. This life isn't everything. In in fact, mm-hmm. this life is it. This last this life is going to last about five minutes. Then mm-hmm. you're gone, and then there's eternity. Um. So, but if I didn't think that, and I thought this is my whole experience as a being is just what I'm experiencing here on Earth, then I am just living in sheer terror all about the everything time. that's moving around all yeah. the time. And I see that around <laughs> me constantly, obviously. <laughs> but the danger, uh, yeah. The danger in that, there's the, there's the fact that it's just sheer terror, I believe. But the danger in that is, by definition, you almost have to overestimate the goodness of man. Because if you don't think that, so if the only thing you believe in is man, and man's fucked up, then you're fucked. But if you b- only believe in man, you have an inherent bias to view man more favorably than he really is. And how that manifests itself in terms of how the United States was taken over by China in 2042 is because we have created this entire multiple generations of people who've been taught that man is good. Man is inherently good. And that's going to be what causes us to not be watching the perimeter when yeah. when everything comes down on us. Yeah, it's, because- not, it's not Rousseau, it's Hobbes. Without well, without without proper functioning government, life is nasty, brutish, and short. Yes, yes, yes. And so, if we're all, you know, if we're all wearing pussy hats and and believing that ISIS really aren't bad people, they've been, you know, that's just a small percentage. Um, that's why I think we are so vulnerable to a China, which I believe really does have very, you know. Uh, uh, sinister aspirations i mean even if they're not sinister it's just this is just normal human history that yeah their designs their designs don't have to be evil to be bad exactly i mean exactly yeah i i agree with you i think that like i think the frustrating thing and part of the reason we connect on this podcast so well is that look i mean you and i don't agree about everything but i think that one of the things we do agree about is we're like look there's got to be some middle pathway here like there's yeah. got to be some co- common ground that we have to be able to find in order to to have a real conversation about a lot of this and and not resort to, you know, name calling or or kicking and screaming or or far worse. Yeah. Or wearing a pussy hat, <laughs> you know, threatening people. And, you know, I, I just I think back to that incident that happened. I believe it was in Portland where just some. I believe he was an Asian American of some variety was was attacked by people in broad daylight and he was hitting the head with like a rock and he was hitting the head with all this I mean the dude was in like intensive care. Remember that story? Which one was I mean there's been like a number of these I feel like. Well, I I vaguely I believe it was an Antifa related thing but I don't think mm-hmm. Antifa was the one the wasn't Antifa that did the damage to this dude. It was just the people in the like the people in the crowd. And I thought, like, this is where we this is where we are. And this is actually a couple of years ago. I didn't recall when this was. But just seeing that, just seeing that and seeing a person, an obviously innocent, peaceful, 
harmless. This dude, the kind of dude you'd look at and no one would consider him a threat to anything. He was sort of a classic, you know, nerdish, bookworm looking kind of a dude. Yeah. He wasn't aggressive. He I don't even recall what he did to be attacked. But the point is, when we have people standing around watching that happen and laughing yeah. and nobody doing anything to stop it when a guy's life is in danger. I mean, where, what does that say about us as a culture? Yeah, I mean, I think that the this the, the there's a there's a real c- coming apart of like just a lot of this basic know? stability. Yeah, and I think that that it, it it it's because of this like fractioning, this like shattering of of any kind of like common purpose. There was a some yep. of the research that I've done lately, and I know we're running out of time. You got to get going. Um, but some of the research I've done lately really really am fascinated by is there's a wikipedia article you can check it out called american civil religion and it was fascinating there's a bunch of research done in the 1950s and 60s um by uh, a guy whose name i forget unfortunately um and it basically was saying that there was a there was a civil religion in america and it, d- it dated back to when alexis de tocqueville wrote democracy in america he even noticed it then that there was a concept and he, there was these kind of 10 core tenets of American civil religion that included things like filial piety, um, you know, uh, deference to government, um, individual rights. Like there was just a lot of, you know, common community purpose. And a lot of that has been eroded over the last uh, really 40 years, I think, since the 19, I think since the late 60s. So I should say it's been more like 50 years. But, um, but it's, I want to do more research into it. We should have a podcast where I talk about some of my findings in that because it's pretty it's pretty fascinating stuff. Because as soon as I read that article, I was like, one, this is totally true. Two, this is completely shattered. And I, it would be really interesting to see kind of why that happens. And I think you get traces of it in the media, but uh, in different parts of media. I shouldn't say in not the media with capital T to capital M, but in different parts of media people talk about it but i don't think i've ever really looked at it because i think i think that's what we're living in is a post uh you know sh- shattered um Shadubi. yeah 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 anyway uh what a good conversation man and i know you got to get rolling i do and yeah it was and again i love the fact that you know we didn't actually, plan on any of this <laughs> no actually we had a topic and at the last second i changed the topic and then we didn't do that topic <laughs> so yep yep just continuing on with it but yeah that was a uh, really interesting and it doesn't feel that conversation doesn't feel complete to me no uh, it isn't so we're gonna have to continue it and yeah why don't you do some research on that and uh and uh, and i'll do my usual lack of any preparation whatsoever and we'll just <laughs> see what happens next time and i'm sure we'll show up with the intent on finishing this conversation and we'll do something about something about how Technology is affecting the clowns in the circus or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. I'm going to edit that out. I'm going to edit out the, the beginning and the ending. And yeah, I do have to go. So uh, why don't you sign us off? Yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in once again to Unk Few. Uh, check it out once it comes out live, The Power Bible or my other book, uh, The Stoic Salesperson. Uh, and thanks for tuning in. We love it when you guys, we love hearing your comments. We love hearing your your thoughts. So please make those known wherever you find this podcast. Thanks, Brennan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you soon.